Now, this morning, I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Romans as we wrap up this series of messages on the attributes of God. And we want to look today at the all-sufficiency of God, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. We'll read down through verse 39. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? What then shall we say in response to this? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long were considered as sheep to be slaughtered? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do love you and thank you so much for the privilege we have to study your word, to grow in your grace. Pray that you'd help us to understand that though we may have feelings of inadequacy, that you are a God who is all-sufficient. You have everything under control. You are the one who is the master of our lives, and we submit to you. Uh, teach us. Help us to understand how much you love us. We'll praise you forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Most of us, <clears throat> at one time or another, have had feelings of inadequacy. I know I have. Uh, these are the kinds of feelings that come when we uh, sense a, a, uh, a helplessness, a weakness, or, or maybe even we just feel totally alone. We're facing situations that are bigger than we can handle. We don't know how we're going to handle them. We don't know how we're going to get through them. They are situations that, that stare us in the face and, and we sometimes begin to pull back a little bit. It may have been on the occasion of a death of a loved one or a friend and you want to express your comfort. You want to express your encouragement to them, but the words just don't seem to come. There's an inadequacy. We, you, you want to come around them and, and encourage them, but you really don't know what to say. There's that sense of inadequacy. Maybe it was you received a promotion at work, and though you are very grateful for this promotion, you know that more is going to be expected of you than maybe even you can deliver. And so there's a sense of, of inadequacy. I don't know if I can... If I can really step up to the plate and accomplish all that is now going to be expected of me. Uh, for many of us in a post-COVID uh, era, we've 
Many have lost jobs. Many have lost their businesses and houses. And we don't know how we're going to provide for our families. And, and we feel such a sense of inadequacy. We've got to get retrained to do something that we've never done before. And so all of these particular things sometimes contribute to these feelings of inadequacy. It may have come to us when we're facing a stressful situation or something that is totally outside of our control. Uh, we may feel inadequate because we feel we don't measure up to others. Uh, we feel we just don't matter and uh, that uh, we're, we're just insignificant and, and, and we just don't feel any sense of, of value because uh, we just look kind of down at ourselves. I found that this advice is helpful. Uh, we can never meet all the expectations of others, and you can never meet all the expectations you put on yourself, but you can always meet the expectations that God has for you. You can always trust him. He is the one who is totally adequate. He is fully sufficient. And though we are baffled and uh, many times bogged down by feelings that we sometimes can't even express, we have a God who is right by our side, who is an all-sufficient God, who is in need of absolutely nothing, and promises to come alongside us as we put our confidence and our trust in Him. Now, this is <clears throat> what makes God so unlike any of His creation. Nothing in human realm is complete in itself. It always needs something outside itself to survive or to exist. For example, breathing requires air, and every organism needs food and water in order to survive. And again, Tozer's axiom is absolutely correct. To stay alive, every created thing needs some other created thing, and all things need God. Now, it's interesting as you study the Bible, you discover quite a bit about the sufficiency of God, that He is sufficient. He has no weakness. He has no flaw. He is more than able to meet us at the point of our need. And you see this especially in the book of 2 Corinthians. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 to 15, 2, 15 and 16, the apostle explains how this uh, applies to ministry when he says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those that are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To one we are the smell of death, notice, to the other we are the fragrance of life. And then he asks this very penetrating question. He says, and who is equal or who is sufficient for such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. You understand what Paul is saying here? As a minister of the gospel, he feels so inadequate in actually proclaiming the power of the gospel. He wants people to understand that the gospel is the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ. He wants people to understand this beautiful relationship that we can have with the Lord Jesus. But again, there is a sense of inadequacy. He cannot depend upon his own unique gifting to do this, he must rely completely on the Holy Spirit. And he continues that theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. 
He says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Here it is. Not that we are competent. He uses another word for sufficient or adequacy. Not that <clears throat> we are competent or sufficient in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. And here it is. Underline it in chartreuse. But our competence, our sufficiency comes from God who has made us competent or sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The apostle feels totally inadequate in explaining the gospel and making things clear so the people can understand and respond to the great grace that we have been made access to through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's such a high calling, and he understands this, and he doesn't know how he's going to be able to completely fulfill it, but he learns as he continues to rest in the Lord Jesus that God and his grace are more than sufficient. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, Paul speaks of the sufficiency of God's grace. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, notice, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You remember, Paul was wrestling with this thorn in his flesh. And over and over again, he pleaded with God to take away that thorn. It was, we don't know exactly what the thorn was, but it was something that he felt was contributing to uh, his inability to maybe get the, the gospel communicated in a correct way. God never took away that thorn, but he gave him something better. He gave him his grace, and he finds that his grace is all sufficient, that God's grace is that which empowers him to do which, from a human standpoint, he feels totally inadequate, but in the strength of the living Christ, he can accomplish it. It's very interesting that the all-sufficiency of God is recognized in the life of a spirit-filled believer here in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is probably one of the mountaintop uh, chapters in all of Scripture. Uh, J.I. Packer in his volume, Knowing God, points out that there are two contrasting uh, <coughs> excuse me, emphases here in Romans 8. In the first 30 verses in Romans 1, 8 to 30, the all-sufficiency of the grace of God is demonstrated, whereas in Romans 8, 31 to 39, the all-sufficiency of the God of grace is declared. And beginning at verse 31, Paul asks his readers a powerful question. He says, what then shall we say in response to all this? And all that God has provided in the gift of salvation and sanctification and blessing. What shall we say in response? Underscore, if God is for us, who can be against us? That is a powerful verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? God, in communicating his plan to Abraham, said that he would become the father of many nations, and these offspring would be as numerous as the sands of the sea. And God reminds Abraham of his all-sufficiency because Abraham couldn't believe that. 
And he says in Genesis 15 and verse 1, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. In essence, what the psalmist, what, what Paul is saying is what the psalmist expresses in Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Now notice, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, as we grow in our walk with the Lord Jesus, he doesn't want us to focus on all the obstacles and all the other things that we have to deal with. He wants to help us to focus on the all-sufficiency of the grace of God. And as spirit-filled leaders and believers, we allow the Holy Spirit to direct the affairs in our lives. And we appropriate fully this all-sufficiency of God by faith. We not only realize as Christ followers that are filled with the Spirit that we are the children of God, but we also realize that nothing in this world can ever separate us from the love that God has for us. And I think that so many times we tend to take the love of God for granted. But my friends, the love of God is all that we need. And his love is more than enough. He is our all-sufficient God. Now notice here in Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 31. First of all, God is all-sufficient in his protection. And I want you to focus on that little phrase, if God is for us. I want you to put a circle around the word for us. Who is this God that is for us? Well, as you go back in the Old Testament, this God who is for us is the God of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God that discloses himself to Isaiah in Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. Here it is. I am God and there is no other. We were singing about that today. There is no one like our God. There is no one who compares to him. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that are pleased. Our God is a sovereign God. He is in control. He is all-sufficient. This God who is for us is the God that Paul has been speaking about here in the opening chapters of the book of Romans. For example, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 this God is the God whose wrath is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 118. You come to chapter 5 and verse 8. This is the God whose love is demonstrated toward us when we had no capacity even to return his love. The Bible says in that passage that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we had no capacity to return his love, he takes the initiative. He reveals his love to us. In chapter 8 and verse 28, this is the God who works out all things for our good according to his purpose. Nothing happens to us that God does not want to turn out for good, especially 
to those that love him and obey him. Chapter 8 and verse 29, this is the God who foreknows us and predestinates us and conforms us. Notice in verse 29, to the likeness of his son. And in chapter 8 and verse 30, <clears throat> this is the God who justifies, declares us righteous, and ultimately glorifies us. We have a God who is with us. He has no weakness, no insufficiency, no inadequacy. He is our all-sufficient God and Master. Now, if we're honest, many of us forget about this. We sometimes feel like we are fighting our spiritual battles alone, that there is no one who is facing off with the enemy other than ourselves. And like Jacob of old, we, we lament to ourselves and we say to ourselves, everyone is against me. The truth of the matter is that just the opposite is true. Our God is for us. When you feel like everything is against you, when you feel like your back is up against the wall and you have nowhere else to turn, we have a God, friends, who is for us and has pledged to be our protection. That phrase, for us, in Romans 8.31, is a declaration of God's covenantal relationship to his people. All born from above Christ followers have this confidence that the God that we serve, the God who dwells within us, has made a covenant with us and will help us to stand. In Genesis chapter 17, 1 and 2, God says to Abraham in giving that covenant, he said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I may confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I will establish my covenant, notice, as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to be to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And this is again affirmed by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Galatians chapters 3 and 4, where we note that all those who put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are incorporated into the seed of Abraham. God keeps his promises. When you read that text, God is for us. God has pledged himself to meet our needs and protect us no matter what the situation may be. He promises to protect us from any threat that the enemy may throw at us. God's promise is that he doesn't lead us many times over the obstacles or Around the obstacles, he oftentimes, in his sovereignty, sees us through the obstacles for his greater glory. And so if God is for us, and he is, that means that in the face of opposition or mistreatment, our God, even in that situation, is leading us to victory. His power and his might are no match for the enemy. The world and the flesh and the devil can collaborate against us, but they will not overcome because our God is what? That was weak. Our God is for us. He is for us. 
He is in our corner. He is the one that we can totally rely upon. In Psalm 56, 4, we have these words, In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. But this I know that, here it is again, God is for me. In God whose word I praise, the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. There's no reason ever to be afraid because our God is with us. He is for us. He is sufficient. And no matter what the enemy may try to do to discourage us, our adversary always has to answer to our advocate, the Lord Jesus. And our advocate is much greater than our adversary. The Bible says the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And so we have the protection of God, this all-sufficient God himself, that no matter what battle we may face or circumstance that seems to overwhelm us, never, ever forget our God is for us. Number two, God is all-sufficient in his provision. You see this in verses 32 and 34. Look especially at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now look at the text closely. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I don't believe any of us can ever really comprehend the cost of Calvary. All that was involved with the father turning his back on his son. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 that when mankind was at his worst, God sent us the very best. In the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent us his son to be the savior of the world. When the human race is in desperate straits, God steps in. And you see this over and over again in the biblical record. When we get to the end of our human resources and all we have left is God, we will discover that God's enough. And that's what we need to lean into this morning. God is committed to our success as Jesus' followers. If God provided us a great salvation at tremendous cost, do you not think he also has the power to keep those of us who have put our faith and our trust in him? He not only gives us salvation, but he gives us spiritual resources so that we can overcome anything that the enemy may throw at us. Now, many of us lose sight of this. <clears throat> In fact, there are a lot of folks. Sometimes you take a look at the body of Christ and, oh my, they're a sorry bunch. Now, I mean, goodness sake, some of them look like they, uh, uh, they're whipped all the time. They're always discouraged. Uh, some of God's people look like they've been uh, baptized in lemon juice and weaned on a dill pickle. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely amazing. Oh, we walk around, we walk around, oh, 
feeling sorry for ourselves because we carry such heavy loads. Let me tell you, God is for us. We can hold our head high. We don't have to, to wander around in spiritual defeat. God is for us. See, I think the one sin we as God's people are not afraid to commit is to have the audacity to believe that God is somehow insufficient in helping us when we're facing battles too big for us to handle. We are too quick to distrust him rather than rely upon his resources that are without end and measureless. And if there is one message that Paul desires to get through to us is that God is all-sufficient. He is all-sufficient in providing us with salvation. Moreover, this salvation that he has given to us cannot be stripped away from us by Satan and his unholy host. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is as if we are brought into a court of law and Paul's argument is simply this. No prosecution can be of any avail if Jesus Christ is our advocate and if God the judge has already justified us. See, one of Satan's favorite tricks to deceive us as Christ followers is to cast doubt over the salvation which cost Christ so much to purchase and secure for us. Now here in Romans, Paul does not deny the reality of the struggle between the old and the new nature, but he does say, however, in this passage that no one can ever cause God to change his mind with respect to the salvation he has provided for us at Calvary. Look again at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. God is the one who declares us righteous through his finished work on the cross. And friends, that declaration does not change. If God accepts us and his blood nullifies the sentence of death which sin does to our lives, no one, not even Satan, can reverse that decision or say that it is not valid or real. God is the one who justifies us. He is the one who declares us righteous. God loves us. He chooses us for salvation in eternity past, and he declares us righteous by virtue of Christ's substitutionary death and glorious re resurrection on the cross. Does God condemn us? No. God is not the author of those thoughts that cross our minds, which sometimes whisper in our ear, your salvation is not real. No, that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of the enemy. God does not condemn us. The Bible says Jesus came into the world, what? Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He sent his son to go to the cross to die for us. And it's absurd for one moment to believe that God would condemn us when he has done so much to save us. As you read in Romans 8 and verse 1, I love this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. When we do sin, the Bible says we have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We have an advocate, and that advocate is Jesus. And he pleads our case before the Father. In fact, the Bible also tells us that when we are facing situations that are so big that we don't even know how to pray, that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf and pleads our case before the Father. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, notice, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit, here it is, intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Aren't you glad that you have a God who is all-sufficient and when we can't even utter a word, God word, he intercedes for us. That's powerful. That tells us that our God is all-sufficient in every detail. And then lastly, I want you to note that he is all-sufficient in his preservation. Notice verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's very interesting as you study this particular passage, you see all three members of the Godhead are involved when it speaks of God's everlasting love for us. For example, in Romans 5, 5, the Holy Spirit is poured out in our hearts when by faith we trust Christ. Romans 8, 35 tells us that nothing separates us from the love of Christ. And in verse 39, the, the writer speaks of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The entire Godhead is involved as it relates to the love that God has for us. This divine love which chooses us and justifies us and ultimately glorifies us is a love that enables us to persevere. It is a love that we can only draw and depend upon when in complete faith we walk in obedience and confidence in God. One of the greatest realities in life, listen to me carefully, is to realize and to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 35 to 39, notice, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He lists a whole bunch of things. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, notice, we are not victims. We are what? We are conquerors through him who loved us. He goes on to say, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation, notice, shall be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Man, aren't you glad you belong to Jesus? Aren't you glad that he is your all-sufficient Savior, your Lord, your Master? The scope of things over which we are more than conquerors. Notice, we are more than conquerors over crisis. Crisis of death, verse 38. We are more than conquerors over the calamities of life, verse 38. We are more than conquerors over celestial beings in the heavens, verse 38. We are more than conquerors over the complexities of life, verse 38. The coming future, with this great array of unknowns, we are more than conquerors over that. And all the cosmic forces of the world that we can't measure or master, the Bible says we are more than conquerors. In fact, not only are we more than conquerors, we are overcomers. Jesus put it this way in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. My friends, <clears throat> we are not pawns that the devil can manipulate. We are transformed people, born from above people, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God himself has pledged himself to be our protector, our provider, our preserver, until one day we see Jesus. And then all these things that just we don't understand, we can't put together, then all this stuff that has preoccupied our minds, it'll all fade as we bow at the feet of Jesus and enjoy him forever. You see, we need to live as kingdom kids. We have been bought with a price. The Bible says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If God be for us. I want you to leave here this morning with the confidence that God is for you. And no matter what comes against you, it has no power. Because you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. God's all-sufficiency, I believe, enables us and empowers us to live the spirit-filled life successfully. You see, the deepest need that we have as human beings is not food, it's not clothing, it's not shelter. It is God, who is for us. Let's stand together, shall we please, for prayer. Lord Jesus, we are forever grateful for the cross. And we're forever grateful for the hope that you've given to us that nothing can ever separate us from your love and that you are not only with us, you are for us. And so, Lord, help us not to rely upon our own human 
energy and strength when facing the challenges of life. To the contrary, may we keep a clear, laser-like focus on the God who is for us. The one who has purchased us with his precious blood and empowers us every day to live lives on his terms for his glory. Thank you for your presence with us today. As we leave, help us to leave in the strong name of Jesus. We'll praise you forever. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore, I pray. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.